And uh, let's, uh, let's move into it. This is a good study. I'm very excited to uh, bring it today. And we are in John chapter 10, verse 11. Last week, we be, uh, began to talk about uh, the Good Shepherd. If you were here last week, you uh, might recall that. We began chapter 10, and as you begin chapter 10, Jesus begins to go right into the teaching of the Good Shepherd, and he referred to himself as the door. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was the Good Shepherd who alone had rightful access into God's sheepfold, if you will, the, the sheep pen, God's people, but he was actually the very access point into God's fold. You have to go through Jesus to enter in to God's sheepfold, to be a part of God's flock, as it were. And as previously stated, this analogy of, a, of sheep and shepherd, it was very familiar to the people who would be hearing this. It might not make as much sense to us today, but it certainly did to them then. And I want us to try to understand a little bit more of what they were hearing as Jesus was saying these things. And this is a very strong picture, the sheep and the shepherd. This is a very strong picture of the relationship between Jesus and his followers, between Jesus and us. One commentator says that just as sheep hear the voice of their own shepherd and follow him, so do believers follow Christ. By faith, they listen to his call. By faith, they submit themselves to his guidance. By faith, they lean on him and commit their souls implicitly to his direction. Amen? He is the shepherd of our souls, and we trust him implicitly. We lean upon him as our shepherd as the one who protects us and leads us and provides for us and feeds us and, and cleans us when necessary, who protects us from the wolves. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. And this week we're going to continue considering the same thing. Jesus has the, the good shepherd. It was just too long of a text to try to tackle it once. So this is essentially a continuation of what we were talking about last week. And so remember, we were talking about the man that was born blind back in chapter 9. You guys remember that? A few weeks back, Pastor Dan taught on that. And the kind of treatment that he received from the religious leaders, they ridiculed the guy. They scorned him. They mocked him even. And then they finally put him out of the community. They cast him out. Well, not so with Jesus, the good shepherd. He found the man. He healed the man. And when he was cast out, he caught up to him. And I would say he saved the man. You know, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And the guy said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus said, you have seen him and heard him. That's amazing to me. And he believed and he worshiped Jesus there. It was glorious. And so that was a real-life picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, versus the bad shepherds. And last week, he likened them to thieves and robbers, those who jump over the wall. They don't come through the door. And so um, Jesus continues to elaborate on the significance of the good shepherd. And today, something that we need to take note of is that the father becomes a very real part of the story today. The father enters the story and uh, is, is real key to what we're going to be looking at. The sheep belong to the shepherd. Remember, Jesus said, they're my sheep. The sheep belong to the shepherd because they were given to him by the Father. Amen? 
And we're going to see why that's so special and why that is so important. And I just bring this to our attention because I think it's needful for us to keep this in our minds as we work our way through. So towards the latter part of the text we're in today, I'm going to read this because I think this is key to the text. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Brothers and sisters, fellow sheep, we have been given to the Son, given to the Good Shepherd by the Father. That's, very, that's, that's a wonderful truth, and we're going to see as we go why that is so special. And so, because we are a gift from the Father to the Son, the Son, Jesus, has a very deep love and affection for us. Another commentary says, The expression, my sheep, points to the close connection that exists between Christ and believers. They are His by gift from the Father. His by purchase, His by calling, and His by their own consent and heart submission. We've been given to the Son by the Father, yet at the same time we have come by our own consent and heart's confession. Amen? It's a wonderful mystery, and we'll see more of that even as we work our way through the text today. So I've titled this message, The Shepherd's Motivation. What is it that drives the Good Shepherd to do what he does? The gift that we receive from the loving Shepherd, what is his motivation? It is his love for the Father and his love for us. Amen? His love for the Father and his love for the sheep. That's what drives, that's what motivates the Good Shepherd. And as we will see, that is the same thing that motivates and drives us. Amen? All right. A few uh, weeks ago, Pastor Dan was up here teaching, and I was listening online, uh, and he said, um, if you agree with me, give me a blank stare. <laughs> and I, uh, I just, oh man, I was laughing so hard, because when you teach, you just know exactly what he's talking about. We get so many strange looks from the pulpit. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. People look angry. They look confused. They look like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, an, you know, it's an interesting thing. So anyways, all right, well, uh, not to get distracted here. Point number one, point number one as we enter into our text. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And there's really three things I want to draw out of this first point. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus lays down his life because he is deeply invested. Jesus lays down his life for us because he is deeply invested. We are his father's sheep. So look at, uh, with me at verse 11. I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So here we have the fourth of the seven I am statements 
Remember, that's unique to the Gospel of John. Seven times he says, I am. And we are on the fourth one, I am. And then it's followed with this amazing statement. And this is, as I said, it's a claim to deity. Jesus is uniquely claiming to be the I am of the Old Testament in Exodus 3. And here he says that he is the good shepherd. Now, as I mentioned, Jesus contrasted himself against the Pharisees. He called them thieves and robbers last week. Remember that? Well, now he's contrasting himself against them as the hirelings. He is the good shepherd. The sheep really belong to him. And the Pharisees, they were just hirelings, hired hand, a hired hand, if you will. They didn't have any real investment in the sheep. And you could see that in their care for the sheep. They didn't care about the sheep. They cared about themselves, they wanted to look good, they wanted the applause of men, and really they had disdain for God's sheep. They really saw themselves as high and lifted up, better than, above the people, and they just put a burden on the people that the people could not carry. Jesus said that the Pharisees, they themselves wouldn't even attempt to carry. They kept the people away from God. They put burdens on the people that the people could not bear, and they actually hindered worship. Whereas Jesus is the good shepherd who's deeply invested in the flock, who loves the flock, and he said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. He does not put a burden on us that we cannot bear. He is the good shepherd that leads us directly into God's fold, into the presence of God, because he loves the Father and he loves us deeply. He's deeply invested. I actually had a little graphic here. Nothing too spectacular, but I thought it was kind of funny. So there you have it. This is the good shepherd. You know, he's got a whooping stick. That's what we call it in the south. And he's, uh, he's going to work on these wolves right here, but the hireling over here, he's out, man. And the, the sheep, they're being scattered. The wolves, they're getting after it. And there he goes, man. He's bouncing out. We, uh, the bridge guys, we all say, finna bounce. And that's what the hireling says. I'm out. I'm finna bounce, man. He sees that wolf, and he is gone. And so that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's the good shepherd. He's not going to run when danger comes. He's going to fight the wolves. In fact, he's going to go so far as to give his life away for the good of the sheep. Now, there's an interesting picture of this, even in the Old Testament, that I never really considered, but it popped into my mind as I was thinking through this, and it's that of David. Remember when David went uh, to try to fight against Goliath and he presented himself before Saul and Saul's like, man, you're a little kid. Get out of here. You know, you don't have what it takes. And he says uh, to Saul, he says in 1 Samuel 17, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And so we see that there. David cared deeply for his father's flock. And he was going to put his life on the line to deliver the lamb from the mouth of the predator. Well, how much more Jesus, the greater David, the, flock of his, uh, the, the shepherd of his father's flock, how much more is he willing to sacrifice, to, to fight for us, to protect us? Amen? Praise Him. Jesus is the good shepherd that lays down His life, and He does it because He's deeply invested. You need to know that. The Lord is deeply invested in your life. If you are His, if you belong to Him, He's your shepherd, your Savior, your Lord. He cares deeply for you, and He is intimately invested in your good. 
You need to believe that. Well, the next thing we see is that because he is the, the good shepherd, um, he lays down his life because he knows the sheep. He lays down his life because he knows the sheep. Deeply relational. He's deeply relational with the sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd." So Jesus here reiterates that as the good shepherd, he knows the sheep and he is known by the sheep. Now I think it's important to realize that this knowledge here, to know and be known, this is not just, we know all kinds of things, right? We have intellectual knowledge about many different things, but that's not the same thing as what we're talking about here. This is a relational knowledge. This is an experiential kind of a knowledge, Jesus doesn't just know about us, and we don't just know things about Jesus. Jesus knows us in the deepest sense, and we know him too, relationally, experientially. We've been set free by him. We've been made alive by him. We are led by him actively because he is deeply relational and committed to our lives. That's the kind of knowledge that we are talking about here. You know, we know there are people out there that we know, we hear their names all the time, and you can say, yeah, I know that person, but we don't know them personally, relationally, right? And so this is a very deep relational kind of language here that Jesus is using. And he goes so far as to compare his knowledge of the sheep to his knowledge of the Father. You might not have caught that here, but I like how the NLT puts it. It says this, I am the good shepherd, I know my own sheep, and they know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now, if that doesn't boggle the mind, I don't know what does. Jesus says that just as he knows the Father and is known by the same, he knows us, and we know him. That's deep. That's amazing. That's incredible. And you know, the love that Jesus shares with his father, he also shares with the sheep. This is just like what he says in John chapter 17, where he closes out, I believe, that chapter by saying that just as he has loved the father, he has loved us. Amazing. This, how, how deep, how vast, how incomprehensible the love that Christ has for us, the knowledge that he has for us, and it is because of this depth of love and knowledge that he would lay down his life for God's sheep. He lays down his life because he knows us, that he loves us, that we are his father's sheep. You know, the fact that Jesus knows us so well, this, ama this is amazing to me. This is amazing to me. Listen to this. Charles Stanley, listen now. Look up here. He knew us when we were rebels. He knew us when we were rebels against him and still dead in our trespass and sin, when we had no love for him whatsoever and no desire to do his will. He knew us then perfectly. He knew everything about us, and still he loved us. Still he loved us. Romans 5, Romans 5, 8. 
God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? What kind of love is that? It's a love beyond our ability to truly fathom, but it's ours in Christ. Jesus knows us in all our weaknesses and failings and still loves us. I think this is probably one of my favorite ones. It's easy to slip into this trap where you think, okay, he forgave me because I really, you know, I, I had no, you know, I didn't know any better. I was, I was an enemy of God. I was lost to my sin and he revealed himself to me. But now I'm without excuse because I know Jesus. I know his word. I have his Holy Spirit. So when I mess up, when I sin against him, I tend to, if I don't think this in my mind, it's, it's subtle. I'm thinking, well, now, you know, I don't really have that excuse anymore. I know better. And I, I begin to somehow think that his love for me is less, right? And we got to be real careful about that because that is simply not the case. He knows us in our weakness. He knows us in our failings. He knew that was going to happen before he ever even saved us. In fact, before we were ever even born, and He loves us the same. He will never love us less. He will never love us more. He loves us with this vast, incredible love, period. Even in our weakness, even on our worst days. Amen? I love this verse in Psalm 103, verse 14. There's something else that He knows about us. It says in the psalm there that He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Man, we are creatures from the dust. You know, Adam, God took the dust of the ground and breathed air into it. And that's kind of like saying, he know, what, what do you expect from a pile of dust? Really? You know what I mean? And so I think, I think it literally means he knows our constitution and that we are dust. And so God knows we're weak. He expects us to be weak. Praise God that He strengthens us by His Holy Spirit, but He's not shocked when we mess up. You know, I think the surprise is, is when we get shocked that we mess up. But God knows us, He knows us, and He loves us still. In fact, there's nothing He doesn't know about us. Now, that could be a terrifying thing to a person who is outside of Christ and accountable to God for their sins. That God knows everything about you. There's absolutely nothing He does not know ever. And there's this 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 um, this uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a it's a phrase. Uh, God sees all time equally vividly. And what that means is is that five minutes ago and five thousand years ago is fresh in God's mind. There's really no distinctive, right? We remember five minutes ago pretty well. Five hours ago, not so much. What we were doing this time yesterday, we probably have no clue, right? So when we sin, at first we might be really grieved by our sin, but, you know, we forget it. We forget about it, and we move on. But God didn't forget that. And so when we are accountable for our sin and our rebelliousness against God, that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Because God hasn't forgotten a transgression against him that happened however long ago is just as fresh as if it happened five minutes ago. And we will have to pay for all of that one day when we stand before him and give an account for our life and how we lived. That makes the good news of the gospel so much sweeter. 
We don't have to worry about that if we are in Christ. All that has been paid for at the cross because the good shepherd laid down his life for us. He gave his life as a payment for all of those sins, past, present, and future, all on the Savior on the cross. The good shepherd gave his life as a substitute for us that we would be made right with God and forever forgiven and so we don't live under this torment. We don't live under this dread. And so this is actually a comforting thing. The fact that I am forgiven, that I'm cleansed, that I am forever washed in the blood of Jesus, and that God knows everything about me means that I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend about anything. God knows me. How am I going to hide anything from Him? So why would I even try? I can be honest with God. When I am doubting, I can be honest about that with Him. When I am struggling and sinning, I can be honest about that with Him because He knows. He knows more than I know, and He still loves me. He still cares. He's still the Good Shepherd. Amen? Amen. Man, if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. And you know what else He said? He said that there are other sheep that haven't come in yet that He must bring in. There are more sheep that Jesus is actively seeking to save. And he uses us in that. And this is a great encouragement for us to share our faith, to be out in the community with our faith on display, to be even inviting people to church because Jesus is drawing people to himself. The shepherd is calling more people into the flock. There are more people yet to be saved, and he uses us in the process. If that ain't sweet, I don't know what is. You know, praise the Lord that He would take us, save us, and then use us for His glory, and then reward us for it. What, man, what better way can we spend our lives than being used by God and serving Him and His purposes? Being redeemed by Jesus, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, and being a useful vessel, vessel for the Lord. He is calling people to Himself. What an encouragement for us to share our faith and to have confidence. Our God is a saving God, isn't He? And He is seeking, actively seeking and saving the lost. All right, one more thing under point uh, one still. Jesus lays down His life out of loving obedience to the Father. Jesus lays down His life out of loving obedience to the Father. Verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So here we get a, a, a deeper, closer glimpse into this, uh, this love between the father and the son. He says his father loves him because he lays down his life. And he says again at the end of that in verse 18, this is a command that I received from my father. And so what we have here is a picture of loving obedience. Loving obedience. This is, has very, a lot to do with the Trinity. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's just this perfect love and harmony and unity and fellowship within God's triune being. 
And the Son always does that which is pleasing to the Father. He always obeys the Father. And when He came here to, to earth to serve God, He was very clear about that. John 5.30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 8.29, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Imagine being able to make such a statement. I know that is the heart's cry of the Christian, is to be able to say that I do those things that please my Father. None of us could say that. None of us could say that we always do those things that please the Father. But the Son of Man can. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He can make that claim, and it's absolutely true. And He proved that with His life. He served the Father in perfect obedience, even to the point of death on a cross, Philippians 2 tells us. He laid his life all the way down, suffering the most horrific death imaginable. And he did it willingly. He did it willingly, volitionally, without compulsion. Without, as, a, as a sheep is silent, he went to the cross. As a sheep is, I can't remember how that verse went. Sheep is silent before his shear, shears? I'm not sure. Anyways, the sheep is silent. He doesn't fight back. Jesus went all the way without fighting back. And he did this to accomplish the Father's will and to demonstrate love, perfect love. And so kind of the point I want to make here, that, uh, man, obedience. Obedience really pleases God. And it really is a demonstration of love, obedience, Christian obedience, this might seem like some very basic Christianity 101 stuff, but I think we need to recapture this reality that obedience really is the truest and deepest display of love and gratitude to the Father. When we say no to the things that displease God, we're saying yes to God. Our heart cries yes to Him. Jesus said it this way in John 14. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So again, we are accepted because of what Christ has done for us. We don't obey God to get love from God. We obey God because we're in Christ, and we already have his love. We have it fully and completely and eternally. And so why would we not want to then walk in obedience with him? I'm going to tell a story. I know some people in here are sick of hearing this. They've heard it a thousand times. But we got a lot of new faces here today, and I want you to hear this. This is such a great story uh, regarding this reality of loving obedience. My, my pastor years ago would tell the story about him, his, his son and himself. And his son, uh, you know, he, he would always teach his son spiritual lessons through all kinds of random and intentional methods. And uh, his son grew up and went off to military. It's a military college called the Citadel. And so after the first year, they really, they really uh, whip you into shape. And he came home, and his dad could tell his son was in the best shape of his life. And so he said, hey, son, why don't we go out and, uh, and box? Let's put on the boxing gloves and you know, go out in the backyard. So they did, and the son punched his dad in the face and laid him out. And uh, it shocked the son because he never had the ability to do that before. And so he picked his dad up and brushed him off. And his dad was bleeding out of his nose. And he looked at his son and said, Son, now if you obey me, it's not because you fear me. It's because you love me. You know, he, could, uh, he didn't have to obey his father. 
uh, certainly not out of fear because, you know, he could beat his dad up if he wanted to, right? But he said, now there's a deeper motivation, and it's because you love me, because you honor me. That's, that's why you would do the things that I ask of you. And that, I just think that so perfectly captures what we're talking about here. And so that was why Jesus was willing to lay down his life. He was deeply invested in the flock of God because of his deep knowledge and because of his loving obedience to the Father. Let that be what motivates us to know God, to follow God, to serve God, to keep his commandments. We love him because he first loved us. Because he's loved us with the same love that he's loved the Father. Let that empower us. Let that drive us forward. All right. The next points will move more quickly. Number two, so that was all under point number one. Point number two, Jesus divides the true sheep from the false. Jesus divides the true sheep from the false. Verse 19, Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So here, God's sheep, were, they were hearing the words of Jesus, the good shepherd. They were seeing his works and they were believing. There were those who were continuing to persist in their rejection of the good shepherd of Jesus and they were rejecting him with insult. He's, a, he's got a demon. He's crazy. But others, however, heard these words and they knew these are the words of eternal life. This man can't be a man, can't have a demon. He's not crazy. And who, who else could possibly open the eyes of a man born blind if not the Son of God? And so I'll be honest, and we all know this, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, Jesus' words were hard and they continue to be hard. They continue to be hard. And many people do reject them. You know, Jesus said that we are all guilty sinners and that we need to repent. And he said, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many people that are going to go that way. But narrow is the path that leads to life. And there are a few that are going to find it. That's not an easy pill to swallow. That goes down uh, hard. And, you know, a lot of people, they reject that. You know, especially in this day and age, you can't tell people that they're guilty. You can't tell people that they are sinners. You can't tell people that they are accountable for their sins. You can't even tell people what's right and what's wrong because their reality is their reality and their right is their right. And so Jesus' words don't mesh with that. And so it can be hard for many people. You know, Jesus said that he alone is the way of salvation. I mean, that, that's, that's offensive in the day and age we live in, the exclusivity of Christ that he is the only way of salvation. And he said it himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said that we're to love him more than anyone or anything else in this life. And Jesus said that we are to lay down our lives and follow him and serve him. And so absolute loyalty. Now this, this will divide. This will separate. There are plenty of people who hear that, and they simply are not willing to abide. But you know, that's what Jesus said that he came to do. In Matthew chapter 10, 
verse 34, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are hard words. Can we all agree on that? I love my wife deeply, and I love my daughters. And Jesus says that my love for them can't even be in the same, can't be anywhere near my love and my loyalty and allegiance for him. And so, you know, he says that we have to lay down our lives for him. And so Jesus, he does, you know, he's here to, to gather the sheep, to lay down his life for the sheep, but he also does separate the sheep, the true sheep from the false sheep, the sheep from the goats, even Matthew 25 talks about that. Jesus makes a distinction. And so we got to be in. Are you in? Are you one of Jesus' sheep? You have to believe. You have to call upon his name. You have to lay your life down at his feet, as it were, and follow him, trust him, believe him. All right, next point. Jesus knows those who are not his sheep. Jesus knows those who are not his sheep. I'll admit, this thing goes from very devotional and heartfelt, and this is great, to a total flip, and it's like, okay, what is going on? But let me encourage you, we're going to flip it back, and it's going to end on a nice heart, heart, you know, devotional level. But just hang with me here. Number three, Jesus knows those who are not his sheep. Verse 22, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. So now the context has changed. They were there with the blind man and the Pharisees and all of that that, that was set up in chapter 9. But now we're told it's the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It's in the winter, so we don't know how much time exactly has passed. But we're in a new scene here. Now, this, just, this is a total uh, rabbit trail. I'm going to keep it very short. But this Feast of Dedication here, it's the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. And it's one of the feasts that God himself did not institute. The Israelites instituted this. And it's actually Hanukkah. That's what it is. And what happened is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was about 400 years there was a lot going on in the world stage. Alexander the Great came through as a, as a mighty conqueror. He died at a very young age. And the empire was basically split up amongst different leaders. And there was a Syrian leader named Antiochus Epiphany. And this was about 150 years before Christ, approximately. And he, Jerusalem, Israel, was within his you know, territory that he reigned over. And he loved Greek culture. And it was his goal, his chief ambition to make everywhere in his territory to become, um, you know, very Greek. And the Jews were against that, and they really fought against that. So he, he had 80,000 Jews killed. He enslaved 80,000 more Jews. 
they set up an altar of Zeus in God's temple, and they were sacrificing pigs on God's altar. And uh, there was a, a revolt that arose. There was a, a, a priestly family there, and uh, the father's name was, oh gosh, what was his name? I have it here, Mattathias, and his son was Judas, and he was known as Judas the Hammer. And they led a, a, an uprising, guerrilla warfare style, and they actually beat the Syrians back, and they reclaimed the temple, and they did a seven-day uh, rededication and purification of the temple, and um, that's what it looks back to. That's pretty amazing, huh? Uh, and it's really cool stuff. And so that's where they're at, and that's what they're celebrating. As I said, total sidetrack there, but I just think that stuff is so fascinating. And once again, the Jews are very hostile to Jesus. They're demanding that Jesus answer for himself and once and for all tell them who he is. And he reminds them that they've heard enough and that they've seen enough, and it just wasn't enough for them to believe. And then he tells them why. He says, because they're not his sheep. And so this brings us to our, our final point. Jesus knows his sheep, and not one will ever be lost. Just let that sink in. Jesus knows his sheep. He knows you. And not one will ever be lost. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Mm, it's good stuff. You know, this is just such a fascinating um, mystery, perhaps we could call it. You know, from our perspective, we become sheep by believing in Jesus. And that's true. We hear the gospel. God convicts us of our sins. We know that we need a Savior. Now, our stories can be very different. Our testimonies can be very different. But essentially, that's what happens. We're confronted with the reality that we need forgiveness and that we need a Savior. And we know the gospel is truth. And we believe it. And we receive the gift of eternal life by believing in Jesus. In trusting Jesus, we become members of God's family and sheep and his flock. Amen? But from God's standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. We learn that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We learn that we are a love gift from the Father to the Son. We learn that we are actually God's sheep entrusted into the care of the Good Shepherd. Now, as I said, this may seem like a mystery to us how both of these things can be true simultaneously, but we can by faith receive it and rejoice in it. God has His sheep. God knows his sheep. God's sheep hear him. They follow him, and not one will ever be lost. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Not one will ever be lost. Now, this should be some of the most comforting verses in all of the Bible for us as believers. You can hear and feel the authority and control that Jesus wields in our salvation. Jesus gives the sheep eternal life, and nothing can take that away. 
Nothing can take that away. We will never die. Jesus says, though we die, we shall live. We shall live forever with him in glory. No one can snatch a single sheep from the hand of the good shepherd. You know, sometimes you know, when stuff is translated into the English, we kind of hear it in our modern vernacular, and I don't think we fully catch the, the picture. When I hear snatch, I always think, you know, like, snatch the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. There's probably a lot of people in here who don't even remember that. You know, kung fu, you remember? Yeah, and so, actually, karate kid, you're way off. That's not the idea. I mean, it's like the shepherd has the sheep in his arms, and no predator is going to be able to take that sheep out of the arms of the good shepherd. You are clutched by Jesus. You are fully embraced by Jesus, and nothing can take you out of his embrace. You have been given to the Son by the Father. It says in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus will never turn you away. He would not turn one away. Why would he? You're a gift from the Father to the Son. And he loves the Father so much that he receives this gift with great joy. None of the sheep, none of the true sheep entrusted to the good shepherd will ever be lost. John 6, again, it says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given to me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. He's not going to lose one. As I say often here, the question is not, can a Christian lose their salvation? That's a common question. The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? And according to this right here, the answer is no. Not one. He will not lose one. Warren Wiersbe, he says this, As you review our Lord's teaching about his ministry as the Good Shepherd, you note that he has a threefold relationship to his sheep. He has a loving relationship because he died for the sheep, as well as a living relationship because he cares for the sheep, and it is also a lasting, a lasting relationship for he keeps his sheep and not one is lost. Jesus said that he and the Father are one and that the Father is greater than all and that no one can snatch a single sheep from the Father's hand. No one. J.C. Ryle says, Christ declares that his people shall never perish. Weak as they are, they shall be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their souls shall be strong and mighty, but their Savior is mightier. And none shall pluck them out of the Savior's hands. So I hope you know the Savior. I hope you know Christ. I, know, I hope that you find yourself safe in His embrace. And I hope that you, to some degree, understand the love of Christ for you. How deeply invested in you he is as the good shepherd. Just how, how much he knows you. How known you are by the good shepherd. And that 
His willingness to go to the lengths for us that He has is born out of a deep, deep commitment to the Father and a willingness to obey Him even to the point of the cross. And I hope that you know that if you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hope that we know that. And so we're going to close with this, and I just want to flip this for a second. This is amazing to me. All of these things are true, but in God's ultimate plan of redemption, in God's ultimate plan of redemption, the shepherd becomes the lamb. Jesus, the good shepherd, becomes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I use the language of substitution, substitutionary atonement. That is to say that Jesus took the penalty for our sin upon himself and made the payment in full there on the cross and then gave us his perfect righteousness by believing in him and trusting him for salvation. And when we stand before God on that great day, we can stand with complete and total confidence and assurance because our sins have been paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? He really is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And all of the redeemed, all of us, will sing a great song to the Lamb for the great salvation that He has accomplished. And we get a picture of this in Revelation 5, verse 9. It says, You were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessings and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. He is worthy. Amen? May the worthy receive, the, may the Lamb receive the reward of His sufferings. That's us. So may we give Him the glory due His name. Brother Jacoby is going to come up and close us in a song. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you that you gave your son as the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, the one that would lay down his life for our salvation and who would see us to the very end, that would keep us in this life and would see us to the very end. And so it's our joy to give you praise, to give you glory and honor. And so receive our praise as we close with this final song. And thank you, Good Shepherd, that you are the shepherd of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.